when we know better, we do better. And as we educate ourselves, we do better. I'm the same. Like I've learned um, through the 30 years I've had kids and even before that, and as I learn, I do better. You know, even, even the food that I fed my kids, I realise now probably wasn't the best food because I was feeding them organic flour and now I know that that was triticomestivum, that was a hybridised wheat, even though it was organic, it was probably still contaminated. I, I, I used raw sugar. I should have been using rapidura sugar. I, I probably fed them on too many carbohydrates, you know, so <laughs> I can go through that whole guilt too. But that was the best I could do at the time and I was doing better than anybody else out there too. But now that I know better, I'll do better with my grandchildren. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to this week's self-love podcast. I am really inspired, excited, and over the moon to have not only an incredible woman on the show this week, but someone who I feel very proud to call my sister from another mister, the beautiful Cindy O'Meara. Now, for those of you who don't know her, Cindy is about educating. Her greatest love is to teach both in the public arena and within the large corporate food companies in order to enable everyone to make better choices so that they too can enjoy greater health throughout their lives. You're going to find throughout this week's podcast that we delve into quite a lot of topics, but you can hear her passion and her unique, surprisingly simple yet extensively researched down-to-earth approach. I particularly love the way she challenges the larger food corporations, the big food conglomerates, but I also love the way she encourages the stay-at-home mom, the everyday person, in order to help us to eliminate unhealthy habits. And it was also helped thousands and thousands of people to make smarter choices about the food they choose to put into their body. Now, I know for many of us, to love ourselves means that we need to respect ourselves. And to respect ourselves is to treat this body made up of 50 trillion cells with the utmost care, respect, and regard. That means every single one of those 50 trillion cells deserves to have the absolute best nutrition. After all, you would never put cheap fuel into a Lamborghini, a race car, a Formula One engine. Why would we never consider this body to be the Formula One engine of the human experience? So I encourage you to grab a pen and paper, make sure you really sit down and take in every single word that just falls out of this beautiful soul's mouth. She inspires me on a daily basis. I feel really proud to know that I've got her on speed dial, that I can ask any question around food. And also we, we challenge one another on our thinking. We inspire one another as women. We really encourage and support one another as businesswomen. And probably our most favorite role of all is that of being a mum. I really hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Please make sure you give us a five-star rating. If you love it as much as some of you are messaging me and telling me, then the greatest gift you can give to me is a five-star rating on iTunes. Go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. You can go to my page, Kim Morrison Training on the Facebook page, but you can also follow me on Instagram, Kim Morrison and the number 28. 
I'm very proud that 28 Essentials is the sponsor of this show. So you'll hear us talk about our love of what we put into and onto the body and also the difference we can make, not in the world, but we can help make a difference in the world by what we do in our home. Enjoy this week's show. I know you're going to love it. As you can tell, I am super excited to bring to you not only one of Australia's most phenomenal food experts, nutritionists, researchers, and now farming girl, um, but not only that, my beautiful best friend, as you heard in the intro, the amazing Cindy O'Meara. What a treat to be doing this live with you. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast again. Thank you, Kim. Oh, it's such a treat to have you. You know, lately, all around self-love, I get asked questions all the time you know, that people want to feel good about their body. They want to feel healthy. There's sadly a lot of people in this day and age who may never have even experienced what true health is. Why do you think that's the case? Well, uh, we were talking about this this morning, actually, that, you know, you go to a hospital and um, you're there to get well, and then they feed you junk food. And so there's this disconnect between what is health and what is not. So it's like this subliminal message always going on and that subliminal message has been going on for a long time so the dietary guidelines started in 1982 in Australia in the US it was the late 70s and it basically said eat all the carbs you want lower your fat have quality proteins in small amounts and you'll be healthy but they didn't they they looked at quality quantity not quality so it was all about how much of those macronutrients can I have how much of the micronutrients can I have not about the the quality of the food. And there was a survey done out of Johns Hopkins University and it basically said that 92% of the US people want sustainability as part of the food guidelines. So here we are, we have this disconnect where we're told margarine is good, we're told that low fat is good, we're told that eggs are bad, we're told that meat is bad. No, that's the narrative at the moment. So I think everybody is completely confused about food. And if we can go back to, you know, like if we go back in time and understand what our evolutionary body needed, then it, it becomes easy. Margarine wasn't part of our evolution. Low fat wasn't part of our evolution. There might have been times when we had low fat because animals weren't available or the, fat, the animals weren't fat and so there wasn't a lot of fat around. But for the most part, you know, what we're learning in the dietary guidelines is basically um, completely different to what I ever learned in anthropology when I did anthropology. And now here we are in 2021 and the dietary guidelines are up for review. So they are the 2013 dietary guidelines are up for review and they're asking the food industry to be a part of the narrative for understanding or well, reviewing the dietary guidelines. I just, I shake my head. Mm. I actually can't imagine for someone like yourself who has such a passion for permaculture, organic, beautiful um, harvesting and, and, and farm protocols that are really in line with nature, the moon, um, animals crossing the path and the way we actually cross farm and use all these different animals and plants to actually create a beautiful soil. 
there was an interesting documentary not long ago that there was a vegan on there talking about how, you know, she just couldn't, or I've forgotten her name, you'll tell me it. Um, but talk, talk to us about <laughs> that realisation because mm. before we go any further about the dietary guidelines, I just would love people to understand the importance of the culture of the ground mm. in which we grow our food. Yeah. So... Nine, well, let's take you back and then we'll talk about Lyra because she's quite an incredible woman who had an epiphany 20 years into being a vegan. But um, if we go back to the end of the Second World War, which was the end of chemicals being used in warfare in the German camps for, you know, for the killing of many of the Jews or many people that the Germans didn't agree with or Hitler didn't agree with, if we go back to then, those chemical companies are still existing today, Bassif, um, uh, Bayer, um, there's quite a few of them. They still exist today and they were part of that, those chemicals that were used in war and um, part of, you know, the whole thing right through to 45. So then instead of stop using those chemicals, they thought, how else can we use these chemicals? Well, it was able to exterminate people, so why not exterminate um, insects and plants and things that we don't want. So they morphed from the war to agriculture. So by 1945, DDT was the first chemical that was starting to be used across the world. Uh, and DDT was an insecticide. It was used in um, getting rid of mitts in young women and young men's hair, or teenagers or kids' hair. It was used to get rid of any mosquitoes. It was used to, if there was a, a some sort of plague, before that it was arsenic and lead that was used and now we've contaminated many of the soils with that arsenic and lead. So then it was like DDT came along and then by 1974 DDT was then stopped because they realised that it was fat-soluble, it was causing hormone um, issues. We saw all of this happening and so DDT became something that had to be stopped being used on our food supply and around humans. And if you have a look at the advertising for DDT when it first came out, it was, you know, a song saying DDT is good for you, you know, stuff like this. So then the end of DDT happened and then it was glyphosate came in as the herbicide. So by 19... Mid-1970s, glyphosate started to be used um, and then, uh, then it was used in GMO crops, so glyphosate or Roundup Ready. Then it was used to desiccate crops, so that means if they weren't Roundup Ready crops, then they became desiccated with them, such as wheat and legumes and other grains. So desiccation means the drying of the crop before it is um, harvested and so that means all and they can do that with potatoes that means all the riffraff that they don't want dies but that chemical is still there and I guess I got interested in this because um, my mum and my sister were probably very much exposed to DDT in Iowa USA and I do believe that that was part of their demise they both died of cancer my sister died at 46 of cancer and my mum died at 69 of cancer. So I I guess I got into that knowledge of DDT. I read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. Then I read Our Stolen Future, which was about all the hormone disruptors by Leo the oh, Theo, um, Theo, 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 can't remember exactly, but um, and um, a guy by the name of Peterson. So I, I read that book. And then, of course, you know, Carrie Gillum, 
um, brought out her book, Whitewash, which was all about glyphosate. And then I got the idea from so many people that I have interviewed, like Dr. Stephanie Seneff, and I, I really started to look at our food. So I've always been about real food. I've always been about, yes, get organic if you can get it. If you can't, that's okay. At least it's real food. But the more I learned, the more disillusioned I was with our food supply here in Australia. I didn't believe that there was food security. And I don't mean enough food. There's plenty of food. But I mean what is in our food and what is it doing to our health? And so in 2015, I purchased my farm, Changing Habits Farm. It's something that I'd wanted since I was 21, and that's 1981. You can do the maths, everybody. But I finally got my, you know, I finally got that farm. And now somebody asked me, what's your goal, Cindy, with your farm? I want to grow food. That's it. I want to grow food. I want to grow as much as I can. And Kim walked in the door today, by the way, at my home, and I've just been up to the farm and there's watermelon, eggplant, zucchini, cucumber, beans, Chili. chilies. Um, what else did I pick up? Oh, I've got a heap of macadamias, passion fruit, limes. The lemons are coming through. Um, my apples are starting, acerola cherry. So I, can, I go there and I know my food security. My aim is to make sure, my aim is to make sure the soil is at its very best. So as long as the soil has all the microbes in it, it's doing its best. So we had the soil tested three years ago, I think it was, and we um, there's, there's this new thing out there saying that we need to get our carbon and our organic matter to eight, so 8% basically. And once upon a time Australia it was something where between 20 and 30% carbon um, held, holding of carbon and the holding of organic matter. So we're at that eight. We are at C8 and we were there three years ago. So I'd love to remeasure it and just see where we are now. It would be exciting because we've done it through regenerative farming. Uh, and it, I, I, I'm in awe of how food grows. So I planted all of that stuff um, mid-December and here we are mid-February, late-February, and I have so much food I, I can't keep up. You know, there's eggs also. The, the chickens are going nuts at the moment and so we've got eggs. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you really care about your health, then maybe growing food is probably a part of um, finding freedom in food security but also knowing how your foods are grown. And you don't need a farm. You know, I can grow so much in a backyard. I can grow, and Kim would have passed by all my pots, and all my pots have herbs in it. So this is down in a very small block in town. I have pots and I grow um, all sorts of, all my herbs, my lettuces, um, my basil because I'm making pesto all the time. So I grow all of those herbs so I can go out and, and pick when I want my herbs. My herbs grow at the farm too. So it's about the the health of the soil and it's like us as human beings it's like our soil is our gut micro it's our all of that environment in there is our soil and if that soil isn't working right because you're not feeding it right and you're not feeding it um and you're decimating it with so i could say glyphosate with the plants i'm going to say antibiotics with humans or you're take you're putting chemicals on there like fertilizer or something like that versus you throwing in chemical supplements or um, you Panadol. Know, is it, Panadol, you know, like 
people don't realize that when you destroy the soil in your body, it takes years to bring it back. When you destroy the soil in your on your farm, on your land, it takes years to bring it back. Somebody said to me, oh, Cindy, it's just a Coke can of glyphosate over an acre of land. And I just like, I cannot believe that they think that way. Or it's just 1% um, monk fruit or 1% thormatin or 1% flavour or 1% this. It's still 1% and you're still supporting a, I guess, a, a um, bioengineering or synthetic biology or you're still supporting somebody who's destroying the planet and is not for the greater good. And I feel if we as individuals, because it's never going to happen in the dietary guidelines as I started with, but as we as individuals make a stand of where we're going to spend our money and who we're going to support, I, I just think that there will be an incredible ripple effect, um, a tsunami of change, as I always say, that will happen. But if somebody's just beginning, it's really tough because I'd probably just gone Wah! and vomited over everything, you know, and just said, wow, this is what we should be doing. But if we want to start that step-by-step -step process, it's about just starting in your pantry, looking at the salt that you're consuming. Are you going to continue to eat the white salt that's refined, got anti-caking agents in it, got free-flowing agents and potassium iodate, or are you going to change the salt? So when you finish that salt, just look at the different salts and you learn about that in lab to table. Um, if it's sugar, if you're eating a white, refined, completely devoid of nutrition sugar, then just go to rapadura sugar. If you're eating margarine, then just change over to butter. If you're eating cream that's got a thickener and a gelatin that's not organic and a whatever, then just go to pure cream. So it's like you just choose one food a week. Imagine in 52 weeks. That's 52 foods that you've really thought about and what you're putting in your pantry and what's ethical and what you, you should be using. And, and I guess that's where you start. Mm. Uh, and we have um, something in um, the Changing Habits programs and protocols. We have the Real Food Reset. And so this is for people who are just starting out. I doubt any of your listeners are just starting out, Kim. I just think many of them are are fairly well educated and they've been on this journey and they're part of your journey and I, I don't know if that's too basic for them. But if they have family and friends, then that's where you would go. So these are the people that are eating your breakfast cereal still, your low-fat milk, margarine, um, plastic cheese, pastas for dinner. They're also eating vegan meats because they think that they're saving the planet. Um, that's another We'll topic. talk about that one oh, in a minute. That's a real other one or they're eating vegan cheeses because they think they're saving the planet. So the Real Food Research is about looking at what you're consuming, reading the ingredients and making the decision on whether you want to consume this food or not. Yeah. I, I just think one of the most important things of all is education. And what we don't know, we don't know. Mm. But what we don't ask, we also don't know. And then there's people who do know who don't do anything about it. All of them are for want of a better, more polite, it's not a very polite word, but it's ignorance. We, if we don't do or take action or if we don't research this or if we do follow the narrative that's on commercial televisions and all of those sorts of things, then these foods, people are led to believe um, that Kentucky Fried Chicken is a great meal or that you can get cans of Coke with Happy Meals or whatever. I don't even know what it's called. But anyway, they have all these things. 
the hard thing for parents, if they came through the age group that we did, like through the 70s and 80s, where the microwave really started to be seen, fast food was a great freedom. It was The whole point was getting out of the kitchen, mm. freeing the woman to get out of the kitchen so that she could be a free, independent woman and work and do all these things. So the intent may have been noble on one hand as far as saving us time, but Cindy, we're finding so many people are unwell. So many people, as I said at the very beginning, don't even know what it feels like to be healthy. Some people have never been at a good weight because from the minute they've been born, their parents have fed them foods which have affected their metabolism and their hormones, which has never enabled them to have a slim, slender, toned, taut body because of the chemical bombardment, because of the antibiotics, because of everything. I actually feel for a lot of people because they don't know. Mm. And then the hard thing, Cindy, is when you do know, there's an enormous amount of guilt sometimes that can come with that with not realising it. What would you say to someone who's on this path that is actually really discovering that, um, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that, I, you know, that line, if I knew better, I'd do better. What would you say to someone who's now listening to this going, shit, I'm really getting this now? But you don't want them to carry the guilt through this, do you? No, because as I always remember um, somebody that um, Oprah had on and was one of her favourite mentors and she always said, when we know better, we do better. And as we educate ourselves, we do better. I'm the same. Like I've learned um, through the 30 years I've had kids and even before that, and as I learn, I do better. You know, even, even the food that I fed my kids, I realise now probably wasn't the best food because I was feeding them organic flour and now I know that that was triticum mestivum, that was a hybridised wheat, even though it was organic, it was probably still contaminated. I, I, I used raw sugar. I should have been using rapidura sugar. I, I probably fed them on too many carbohydrates, you know. So I can go through that whole guilt too. But that was the best I could do at the time and I was doing better than anybody else out there too. But now that I know better, I'll do better with my grandchildren, you know. So, And, and I might become great-grandchildren too. And will I do better with my great-grandchildren than I do with this? Or will I know better with my farming practices? So at the moment I've got this guy working for me and he does syncentropic farming. And I said, where were you five years ago? He says, I was still learning. I wasn't here for you five years ago. So I I realised that it's just, and I feel guilty. I've spent a lot of money and wasted it on the farm because I feel like I did the wrong things. And I can have guilt on that or I can go, you know what, we were just learning. And now that I know better, I'm going to do better. And it's the same with the cattle. It's like the chickens. Um, as we know better, we do better. Don't yeah. feel guilt. There's just, we well, could all feel guilt. Yeah, and it's a waste of energy. It's wasted energy. You know better, now do better. Yeah. I want to go then, we've talked about soil. There's so many things I could pick your brain about. Mm. But I want to go back to the vegan, the lady Mm. and, and the circle of life. Talk to us a little bit around how you actually, you know, this this veganism movement, which I totally respect and understand why vegans have a moral, ethical ground around the way animals are mistreated. And I totally agree with them on so many counts around this whole veganism movement. What I don't understand is young women um, thinking that they're doing the right thing. And I say young women because it seems to be quite big at high schools when girls decide to become vegan at a time when their bodies are changing and evolving. 
after watching this documentary, could you explain to us a little bit about how that beautiful woman Mm. saw the circle of life and what your advice would be around this? Mm. It's interesting because it is young women usually and it is, although there are men doing it as well, but I remember as a 13, 14-year-old girl saying to my mum, I'm not eating meat anymore. I'm going to become a vegetarian. I did the same. Exactly. So you just, you make that decision and and your parents have to live with that because you're not going to eat it. They can put it on the plate, but you're not going to eat it. So, you know, it, it's this noble thing. We think we're doing the right thing by the planet. As we know better, we do better. And so Lyra Keys. Um, and she is the most incredible woman, had this same epiphany, I don't know how old she was, 16, 17, decided she was going to save the planet, but instead of becoming a vegetarian, she became a vegan and became quite forthright in her veganism. And then she started to get health problems. She figured she lasted about six years before the health problems started. But, of course, then all she did was just, you know, push further into the vegan lifestyle as opposed to going, oh, maybe I'm missing something rather than I need to remove something. And so it wasn't until 20 years on that she started to understand uh, America especially, what was happening in America. So there are 14 states that are the grain belt of America, so wheat and corn and soya and anything to do with plant-based foods. And, and there's also piggeries there, by the way, because I I'm from Iowa, like my mum and my mum and my sister are from Iowa. They were born there. So I know that, you know, in amongst all that are the piggeries because then they eat the grain as well. So what she had this epiphany on was that once upon a time the bison roamed through that area. And millions of bison roamed through that area. So she saw that the grain was leaving a mess of the land because of the chemicals that were being used on it, the genetic modification. And then she saw on Highway 5 in in California the most enormous um, feedlot that you can smell it for miles before you even get near it, and it's horrendous. And that was creating toxicity over there. And she felt like if we could just get rid of all the grain, we don't need to feed the cattle the grain, get rid of all the grain in those 14 states, let the bison go back there, let them do what they do, which is, and probably there were wolves and things like that, so the bison bunch up and graze, graze everything out, poo and wee on it, the birds come in after them, the the wolves keep the bisons together like an electric fence And then the the birds come in behind and they pick through the pests and the poo of the bison. The bison move on, re-fertilisation of the land, more grass grows, the bison eventually come back. But, uh, you know, it could be seven, eight, ten weeks, months later. So she saw that we had disturbed the natural world in America and same in Africa. And no matter where you go, this is what's been happening. But in Africa, what's really good is those herds are still there and they can still see what's happening. And a gentleman by the name of Alan Savory, um, he's incredible, a South African who was a Zimbabwean. Anyway, he's from there somewhere. He is the, the man that really brought this to regenerative farming or cell grazing as we call it. So her belief, her thought was why are we making all this grain to feed to the cows over here when we could just get rid of all the grain, let the bison or the cattle do what they used to do, roam, refertilise the land, we don't need all that grain because it's like 
I was travelling through um, Queensland um, with Howie, my husband, in August last year. It was cane field after cane field after cane field. And I said to my husband, I went, does the world need this much sugar? Seriously. Then I found out there are 80 countries in the world, like Australia, producing sugar. What for? Ethanol or white sugar? Or, Or what? I just went... We don't need this much sugar. Surely we don't need this much. But you get these epiphanies as you become observant and an inquirer. And I think that being being observant and and having inquiry are the best traits that you can have. And that's what I feel Lyra did. She had those traits and she realised the folly of veganism. And now she's an advocate for... um, getting back to animals, um, letting them do what they usually do and and using animals as a part of regenerating the land. And then if we want to eat some, we eat some, you know. So sorry for the vegans out there, but that's the way it is. <laughs> and it seems to be a very strong emotional movement mm-hmm. as well around the cruelty of animals and things, which I think you and I would both agree, we completely agree with, which is where it comes back to buying ethically raised, mm-hmm. organic, grass-fed meat, etc. Two questions I have for you. Very quickly, um, animals eating grain, it was never in the anthropological evolutionary processes of their diet. So what's that doing to the to the stomachs and the digestive system, the soil of the animals that we then eat, let alone the antibiotics they're fed and all the washes that are put all over them? That's my first question. And then the second question was around um, her realisation mm. of the blood and bone needed oh, to fertilise the um, her garden. To garden. So yeah. just, just briefly about the mm. cattle, because some people may not understand, mm. you know, what's wrong with grain-fed cows. Mm. Oh, a cow won't eat grain. It, eat gra- it eats grass. And and you can see it when they walk through my, our place. If the rye grass has sprouted, they don't really eat it when it's sprouted. They want to eat it before it's sprouted. Um, so they are grass eaters. They're not grain eaters. They get sick um, when they eat grain. And there's, um, I can't remember the exact mechanism but they need more and more antibiotics and they can only do it for a period of time before it makes them very, very sick. So it's not their natural eating. It's like us eating McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and our whole life, we will get sick. We can eat it for a small amount of time and then the animals are slaughtered. But that sickness is still in their meat. Why would you do that? You know. And plus they lay down more omega-6s than omega-3s when they're eating the grain. So their whole fat changes and their and their health changes. So you're eating a sick omega six rich cow. There's nothing wrong with omega sixes, but that's not where we're meant to get our omega sixes. Our omega sixes come from plants, not animals. Omega threes come from our animals. So, um, so yeah, with with Lyra Keith, I'd totally forgotten this is what she did. So she wanted to grow her own food, and she realised she either had to buy artificial fertilisers or buy blood and bone. <laughs> You know, and when you think about the animals as they are, like on my farm, the cows go through, they poo and they wee, um, and then, and by the way, when an animal dies, what we do is we we dig a hole and we bury it, and that's our blood and bone. And then, and that could be the chicken, a cow, a young calf. If it dies, that's what we do. We fertilize our land with its body. 
Um, and then the chickens come through and they scratch and scrape and they fertilise the land. We don't use not one fertiliser, not one do we use. And then our animals are healthy so they don't need tick treatments. On occasion, and I have to tell people this, if we have a cow that's not healthy, we will use what we need to use in order to get it healthy so it doesn't die. Yeah. It's just like modern medicine. If you're a human that has gotten sick and you have an acute illness and if you don't get an antibiotics or you don't get an emergency surgery or you don't get something like that, then you're going to die. Mm. So there are times when we have had to treat one cow differently because for some reason that cow is failing in health. So we can separate it from the herd and we can give it nutrition and we can feed it up. Sometimes that works. And other times we will have to use a medication in order to make them well. And like we had um, um, one of our bulls um, pass away um, and then another cow got sick and we just got the vet in. We got the vet in and um, so we got the vet in and it, this um, he had a, a three-day illness. And so the vet, I can't remember what the vet gave him, but he died in the end. So we lost him anyway. So we lost two cows and we went, right. What do we need to do to make these guys safe? Where do we need to put them on the property where they're not going to have these ticks? And, you know, so you learn this. But if there's an emergency, we will use that. Um, and that's like with anyone. That's humans, that's animals. If there's an emergency, we do something to save their lives. Yeah, and there's a really important role that it plays. And what I love about you is your approach to health and wellness is always what can we do with food as your medicine first how do we look at you as a holistic being, not just a part of your body that's not working? I'm really curious. I love the part about Lyra when she discovered as a vegan how important it was for her to grow her plants and her vegetables that she needed the blood and bone fertilizer. I'm also curious to know, in doing so, in understanding the circle of life, in understanding how we can grow the best soil, Talk to us a little bit now then about how do we grow the best soil in our bellies. Mm. So if someone has been unwell or they've been carrying weight or their hormones have been all over the place and, you know, so often what I hear sadly in my world is men and women saying, hate my stomach, hate my boobs, hate my legs, hate this, hate that. That's not a part of self-love. And we segregate it and we put ourselves down, not realising that the body is one of the most innate, powerful, intelligent things not the body's fault the body is responding with the resources it's given and those resources may not always be the best someone listening to this that's going actually I am on this path I have been following Cindy for a while my family is getting better or I want it to get better talk to us about how do we make the soil in our bodies better mm. if we're just starting out I loved your statement it's not the body's fault yeah that is a brilliant statement and it is not the body's fault. It's the ingredients you're feeding the body and those ingredients that make your body healthy also make your soil and your gut healthy. And, and there's lots of ingredients. And so what I'm going to do before I get to the food ingredients, I'm going to talk about the other important ingredients. So number one, sunshine, because sunshine has everything to do with your circadian rhythms. Just think about it. If you don't sleep, you're as cranky as anything. You don't feel well. You don't think well. That's one night of not sleeping. Two nights of not sleeping, you know, you get to the point where you're almost drunk, where you cannot be trusted operating machinery. So circadian rhythms are punctuated by sunrise and sunset, by 
what time it is. So there's a book out called The Circadian Code and um, in The Circadian Code it talks about even the pancreas has its own circadian rhythm. So it works well in the morning but not so well at night. So and each part, not only the pancreas but the gut, the beginning of the gut, the stomach, all have their own circadian code. That is punctuated by the sun. The sun and the moon, your sleep patterns. So sun is important and sleep is important. So there's two really important ingredients. Breath is important, clean air and breath. There's a book out and it's just, I, I love this book and I, I bought it and gave it to everybody. I've read it. Yeah. I love it. I've been doing all the practices in it. It's it brilliant. Is, it's absolutely brilliant. I read it a year ago and I have practiced that breath work every day for 40 minutes. I miss weekends. I usually do Monday to Friday, but I, I do that breath work. But the thing that got me on that breath work was the nose breathing. So the difference, difference between when you breathe in with your mouth versus when you breathe in with your nose and the difference in your health. So breath with nose breathing, not mouth breathing, because mouth breathing will make you sick. So if you have nose problems, and Kim and I have talked about this quite a lot, haven't we, Kim? Yeah. Yep. With, you know, the importance of this nose breathing. And by the way, the name of the book that Cindy is talking about, if you're interested, is called Breath by James Nestor. He's done a number of podcasts and interviews. Mm. He's really worthwhile listening to. But but carry on. We've talked about sunshine and the moon, the importance of the circadian rhythms, how important sleep is, and the breath, nasal breathing and the breath work. What else is important? Movement. Movement. Great. And I say movement because, number one, our lymphatic system needs you to move. If you don't move, the lymphatic system doesn't work. The lymphatic system is part of your immune system. So you must move your body. That can be walking, swimming, running if you want, yoga, um, stretching, weightlifting. It doesn't matter. It just needs to move. And so I don't call it exercise. Gardening, Yes, gardening, dancing. Mm. Um, What else have we got? Like there's so much out there. Hiking, tennis. Yeah, yeah, there's heat. So you it's really important to move your body. And I I love to move mine in nature. So we um and I'm telling everybody our life at the moment, but Kim and I just went for a 14k walk yeah. because we felt we were getting ready for a hike, a six-day multi-day hike. And so we wanted to just make sure that we can do those walks. Then we're gonna have to put, you know, 15 kilos in our bag. <laughs> but walking out in nature, and we we were talking today about the importance of ferns, like the big, the giant ferns have the ability to release magnesium. So you're walking through a rainforest with large ferns or the giant ferns and they're releasing magnesium. You're releasing carbon dioxide. There's this beautiful exchange between nature and you. Grounding is all part of that. Being, being Touching those rocks while you climb something or the, the tree that you've just pushed aside because you need to pass by. These are all interactions in grounding and electron transfer and in so many um, things that we don't even understand. So um, movement in nature is always, we'll put those two in together, even though, you know, they can be separate as well. Um, And connection. Connection is really important. So connection with loved ones, friends, walking with a friend is always important. My daughter Tania has just finished the Southwest track in, in Tasmania. It's a tough walk, you know, and it's, there is no nothing out there that you, you can't ring somebody to come and pick you up. There's none of that. And she said she um, met somebody there that was doing a stunning walk by himself and he just decided that he really wanted to enjoy it with somebody else. 
not by himself. And so he ended up walking out and not finishing the walk. So that's our connection, our want to be with other human beings. Um, they're really important. And then the last ingredient, of course, which to me is has been all my work, and that's 40 years of knowing and understanding food and the importance of food, but understanding how that food interacts with the human body, how that food is grown, which we've talked about now, and the importance of how it's grown. But then what, what did we eat through anthropological times? Why is the ketogenic diet become so big? Was there an anthropological reason why ketosis was important for us? For us? Why the fat loss protocol worked so well? Was there an anthropological reason why that happened? Why should we be meat eaters or fish meaters or chicken meaters, poultry meaters? Meaters? Meaters. Eaters. <laughs> eaters. Meaters. Eaters. Um, you know, why should um, we not be vegans? And was there an anthropological time? And for those people who are vegans out there, I take my hat off to you. It's hard. You will have to take supplementation. But is that natural? And how is that supplement made? And and. And not having animals on the planet, is that going to be the way we should go forward? Um, I, I saw Bill Gates last week say that all modern societies should be eating synthetic meat, lab-grown meats. That was his comment. He believed that all modern society be ha- having synthetic meats and lab-grown meats. And I just went, exactly what Kim just did then. <laughs> I did exactly the same thing. I went, who do you think you are? Mm. First of all, you tell us we've all got to have a vaccine. Now you're telling us we should all be eating synthetic meat. Go and crawl under your rock. I'm sorry, but that is not our evolutionary past. And it is not going to make us healthy. We're going to get sicker and sicker. Our brains are going to get sicker and sicker. We'll just um, just shrink away. Mm. And our connection with nature and our connection with um, everything about nature is disappearing. Yeah. And we've got to hold on to that. We've got to realise the importance of it and the importance of our of where we've come from to understand where we're going to. So, yeah. So, so knowing those beautiful six ingredients, making sure we have an awareness, taking our time, not feeling like we... Some people cold turkey on a lot of these things and do very well, but as a family, as a young mum or a, a person who's a busy worker or career person, instigating these things one step at a time, the body is incredibly resilient. Mm. Like what we do to the body and how we abuse it on a daily basis with things like electromagnetic radiation or bad foods or not enough good soils that we're eating mm. our foods from, all the sources and things like that I absolutely love going to my farmer's market I don't have a farm so my local farmer's market is a brilliant place to go for my food and connection and earthing because I touch all the food and (laughs) and I even feel like I get an increase in my vibrational frequency my electromagnetic field feels better when I do things like that as far as you mentioned it briefly the ketogenic diet this is a big thing at the moment. Mm. There was paleo and poor Pete Evans has had such a hard time over things like this, but his intent was to help 10% of Australia. I remember when we spoke with him, mm. his intent originally was about eating the best food we could and paleo seemed to be the word that described eating whole food naturally. It wasn't about eating a truckload of meat and no vegetables or all of that sort of thing. Mm. Could you explain to us a little bit the difference between paleo, ketogenic, fat loss like is there one way we should all be eating or is there something that we need to biohack and work out what's best for each of us Mm. if we look 
around the world at um, cultures that still exist like they would have in the old days. We can actually see an array of foods that were eaten. So we can go to the Inuits, they ate a lot of blubber, they ate liver. So their, their main diet was protein and, and blubber fat. So that's very ketogenic. But it's also paleo because they were hunter-gatherers. So they hunted, but they also gathered. So when the, the snows melted and some plants came through, they would have gathered berries, they would have gathered maybe roots, they would have gathered things. So there were times in their diet where they were very much a very ketogenic diet, but then there were times when they added the carbohydrates to that diet. So that's one. If we look at the Catavas that live in Papua New Guinea, they um, live in a tropical region. So here we are, both extremes, one's the Inuits, one's these guys. So they live in the tropics where there's lots of fish because they live on an island. There's lots of mangoes and bananas. There's root vegetables. There's coconut. So they're eating saturated fat, which is the coconuts. They're eating um, the, the tuberous vegetables and the sweet fruits, which is very much carbohydrates, and fish. So their diet, when you look at the difference between them, is very, very different. Or we can go to the Himbas in um, Namibia. The Himbas in Namibia live a very much a herding lifestyle. So they have goats and cows. Sometimes if they're stable, they'll grow corn. But for the most part, they live on milk products, dairy products. They kill the occasional animal for celebration um, or if it's old and they will consume that. So very much muttons or, you know, that type of thing if, if they had um, sheep. But if they have goats, whatever old goat's called, I don't even know these days. But, you know, that's what they ate. But at the moment in Namibia, they've had the most amount of rain they've ever had. They have got green grass. There is foods that have been laying dormant that are now rising. And so they will be gathering foods. So not only are they hurting, but they've now got the chance to eat carbohydrates. So as you can see, and I've only given you three cultures, I could give you the, um, the Maasai, I could give you the Hadzas of Tanzania. I could, there's so many out there that we can have a peek into what they consume. So the Hadzas eat animals from all the way from birds right up to primates and they eat very tuberous vegetable and they have honey. They rob hives. They eat about 30% of their diet and honey. So you can see there's this array of foods. And I like I love talking about them. So I've just got to stop because I could go on through all the all the cultures. So we as humans are adaptable. But have you noticed I've never said margarine, Kentucky fried chicken, McDonald's? I've talked about real foods. So whatever that real food is, we are able to adapt. We can adapt to that. And remember, there would have been, like I was up at the Whitsunday Passage recently and they said that the Whitsunday was dry land 6,000 years ago and the Australian Aboriginal people lived there 6,000 years ago. Then that ice age finished, the water started, the ice um, berg started to melt and the water rose and they had to change their diet because all of a sudden it's not dry land anymore. It is now um a place where they have to have a canoe to get to wherever they were before. So they had to learn to adapt. And we as human beings can adapt to any food as long as it's real, any type of diet as long as it's real. So the ketogenic diet is very much mimicking a diet that the Inuits would have eaten or a, a, 
a state the body goes into, and I should call it a state the body goes into. So a body will go into a state of ketosis, which means they eat, they use fat for energy, not sugar for energy. So that fat can come from the animal you're eating or the plant you're eating, like a coconut has fat in it. So that fat can come from there or it can come from stored fat that you have stored um, in a summer that had plenty of food and you put on weight so you can use that fat as well. Either way, the body will use the fat in order to go into ketosis. And ketosis is where we use fat cells to convert to ketones to make ATP, which is our energy. If we eat sugar, that sugar goes into um, our mitochondria and makes ATP in order for us to live. So it's the same um, it's the same process, it's the Krebs cycle in the mitochondria, but one is coming from fat and ketones and the other one is coming from sugar, which is glucose. It just goes straight in. And, carbs. Yeah, right? carbs, yeah. carbs. So our body is adaptable. It is able to go from if there's not enough sugar around, I'm going to use fat. If there's not enough fat around, I'm going to use sugar, depending on, you know, what's available to you. So being in ketosis would have been something that we probably would have done on a yearly basis when there wasn't a lot of food around. Let's say a volcano just, for some reason, a volcano erupted and it wiped out our food supply. So you would need to go into a state of ketosis with your stored fat in order to survive. The longest fast ever recorded happened in 1970. And it was a gentleman who decided that he was sick of his weight and he decided to go on a fast and he visited a hospital to make sure that his health was okay. He fasted for 13 months on water. He lost approximately 320 grams a day over a period of 13 months. So he went from a very, very obese man to a man that looked quite normal in in how he lost his weight. And if you look at it, he would have been using his fat cells in order to survive and all the hospital did was give him electrolytes. He drank cups of tea and water. I think he had cups of tea and water and occasionally he put a tablespoon of milk in his cup of tea. But that was the only food that he consumed really was that tablespoon of milk. But that goes to show you that those fat cells that are laid down are there to help in your survival. So, but we don't live like we lived as hunter-gatherers or herders. We don't have volcanoes destroying our food supply. We've got a grocery store that's open, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. We can buy food in Queensland from South America, from North America, from Europe. We can buy these foods. So we never go through the natural rhythms of life. And so what happens is that we eat and we eat and we eat and we eat and we put on weight and we put on weight and we put on weight. We gather toxicity. We never lose that toxicity and we wonder why we get sick. And we never eat the real foods. We eat the, the plastic fantastic foods that where the food manufacturers become so smart and it's actually not the manufacturers, it's the chemical companies. They've become so smart that they can make a food, look like food, smell like food, taste like food, but not be food. I've seen it. I've seen it in their attitudes. I've looked at it and gone, where's the food? Where is the food? Like you look at tomato sauce, barbecue sauce, chili sauce, um, or anything that has a tomato base, you look at it, it's got the tomato base and it still has exactly the same ingredients, flavour, acidity regulator, thickener, stabiliser and colour. But it's, it's the tomato is the base 
but it's a different flavour, a different colour, a different, the city regulator is probably the same, the stabiliser is still the same and the thickness is the same. But because the flavour and the colour is different, you assume it's barbecue sauce versus tomato sauce. There's nothing, if you look at the ingredients, they're identical. That's what blows my mind, you know. It's just the flavour and the colour that's different. And you can do that with chilli sauce as well, especially, you know, synthetic chilli sauce. It'll just have a chilli flavour and a chilli colour. But the freaky thing is, Cindy, is those chilli flavours, those flavours that give it that flavour, are sometimes hundreds of chemicals. Oh, yeah. And colours are put into it to make it even look more like it or a caramel flavouring. These these chemicals are playing havoc with our fat, our hormones and our whole, the way we even think and feel, but people don't understand this. So when you read the word flavour, I want you to think of two things. It's either a chemical shit storm where there's 48 to 100 chemicals in it. If it says it's a natural flavour, it means that it has one of the chemicals actually comes from, you know, like a raspberry, but it's still an extractive process where they take the smell of the raspberry out so you think you're eating raspberry flavouring. But then, and, and if you look at strawberry flavouring, it'll have raspberry in it, it'll have pear, apple, and I think banana, but there's no strawberry flavouring in it. There's no strawberry in there whatsoever. It's natural strawberry, but it's got those because in combination they give that strawberry flavouring. So, and it's all about smell. It's about the olfactory more than anything else. So the the people that are producing it are the same ones who produce perfume or or smells. So it's, it, and, you know, because you're in that field and I'm in, and it's the same people. They're called um, flavours and um, F and F, flavours and, hmm. I can't Keep remember. Talking, I'll look it up. I can't remember the name of it, but it's um, they're the biggest flavor and smell um, olfactory people in the world. But I can't think what it's F and F, something like that. Anyway, um, so that's one way that they can make it. Then there's another way. So let's look at natural vanilla flavoring these days. So flavors and fragrance, flavor fragrance, <laughs> and it was an F, yeah. <laughs> flavor and fragrance. So let's look at another way they're now making it. So there's this new form of making all sorts of things from fibres to smells to, to flavours, colours to um, textures. textures to acidity regulators to uh, vitamins to medications to vaccines to everything. There's this new technology and it's called biotechnology. And biotechnology is genetically modifying microorganisms in order for them to make something for you. So let's take vanilla flavouring, natural vanilla flavouring. So I can't remember what kind of microorganism it is. It could be a mould, a virus, a bacteria. Um, they're usually the three that it will be. Uh, so what they, or a yeast, so a yeast cell. So what they do is that they will get the smell of the vanilla pod gene out of the vanilla pod, they'll put it into this microbe and then this microbe is put on a substrate. The substrate should be, it could be a sugar, could be corn sugar, could be a, a, a sugar that is um, made as a result of genetically modified corn that's got glyphosate on it. We don't know, you know, and these microbes grow on it and they produce this substance, which is vanilla flavouring. So they might have to clean stuff out of it, but what's left is this vanilla flavouring. So let me give you an example in the late 90s. Um, tryptophan was 
very much used for getting people to sleep. And a Japanese company decided that they were going to, they wanted to make more of this tryptophan and the way they were going to do it was genetically modify a microorganism in order to make this tryptophan. Well, they didn't clean it properly and there was some toxin in it and it killed, I believe, 150 people in the US. Then they realised it was this tryptophan and they traced it back to this guy. It maimed, oh, sorry, not this guy, but to this company. It maimed something like 1,500 people, like permanent injury. So I know they learned their lesson. I get that. But I also have to tell you about a disease called Morgellons. Have we talked about this before? No. So Morgellons disease is where people complain of very itchy skin and they have fibres growing out of their skin or their lips or their body. It's like coloured fibres, pink, yellow, green and red fibres are growing out. And many of the doctors said it's a mental issue um, they've just put that fluff there. That's from your clothing. But these people swear that they have these fibres and it's caused Morgellons. So the thought is, is that the, it's, the, it's a genetically modified microbe that makes fibres that has escaped, got into the microbiome and is now causing havoc with people. Um, and you think about how much is being genetically modified at the moment in the way of microbes. And like Cargill, which is a huge company, has grown, has built this huge fermentation lab in the Midwest somewhere. I think it's in the Midwest. What if those microbes escape that are making citric acid, xanthan gum, micro, microbic, microbic rennet? So microbic rennet, I've got to tell you this one. So this is, rennet is used to make cheese. It comes from the stomach of a calf. So a lot of vegans and people don't like that. So they've said we're not prepared to have cheese with rennet in it. So now what they do is they make microbial rennet or it'll call, be called vegan rennet. And what it is is it's a microorganism that has been transplanted with the gene from the stomach of a cow into it in order to make this rennet. And you're like, you, you go, what's the difference? What's the difference between taking that cow, killing it, get the gene, and just taking the rennet out of the stomach of a cow where, you know, we, we, I just... Where hopefully the whole body is used is ethically. The whole body is yeah. used. I, I, I know that this is a massive topic. Mm. I know it's something it's we're deeply passionate about. And I think really the gist from what I'm taking from you is a food is not a food is not a food. <laughs> um, and also realising that you are what you eat. And what you eat, eats, mm. you know, so knowing exactly the things that are eating or what's been eating. So our microbiome, this is probably That's why. right. That's what I was meant to talk about. Yes. No, but it's great because you can see why it's so damn confusing, mm. why for most of us that sit there, we're not nutritionists, we're not scientists, we don't understand. Why is it so bad? You know, like um, I was taught through the 80s and 90s when I was studying to become a personal trainer and nutrition was part of that. Low fat was everything. The So was ballistic stretching. So was, um, you know, really hard workouts. No pain, no gain was the whole attitude back then. It's, I, I, we know better, we do better. We're learning more. We're understanding more. And I swore black and blue that Olivia was the best thing to eat mm. back in the 80s and 90s. It was in, I thought it just came from olive oil. I thought I didn't understand the homogenization, the dehydration 
the the hydrogenation processes. I didn't understand all the additives. I just saw the big marketing thing of it being olive oil whipped into a butter. I thought that was healthy because of the omegas. So thinking about the microbiome, what we've done as a culture, particularly us in the Western civilization, understanding we've eaten a whole lot of foods, fast foods, flavoured foods, degraded foods, not even food foods, um, those of us that are waking up, those of us that are realising that even just having some herbs and putting those beautiful macronutrients onto our salad each night, just even how good we feel, how do you just in a very simple way make our microbiome healthy again? Mm. Uh, that, that You know, it's not an easy question. And I think I need to just premise some stuff before it. In America, there's a belief that 75% of people have gut issues now. So this is multi-generational. And you either, either nip it in the butt right now or it will be passed on to the next generation. And multi-generational means we talked about DDT in the beginning, now it's glyphosate, the abuse of antibiotics, um, and then the refined foods. So it starts with the degradation of our diversity in the microbiome, which is all of the bugs. And then it's billions and trillions of microbes, which are bacteria and viruses and um, yeasts and um, molds and spores. There's, there's so much in there. There's so much diversity in there. And actually, in fact, Zach put, Bush put up an incredible slide when I went and listened to him speak in Melbourne, and he just showed, you know, how diverse our microbiome is. So it is losing, number one, its diversity. A gentleman by the name of Jason Horolak, who spoke at my summit uh, a couple of years ago, I was speaking to him um, just in the last couple of months, and he basically says, if you've lost a microbe, it's really hard to get it back. So we're losing diversity and our microbes are disappearing. So what you've got to do is the best with what you've got. And how do you do the best with what you've got? First of all, you do not want to feed the pathological ones. And by the one way, the pathological ones are going to always be there. You just need to be them drowned out by the good ones. So you can either go one way or the other. You can have all the pathological ones having a ball, telling you what to eat because they do, doing all of that stuff. Cravings. Cravings. Wanting to be a sugar burner as opposed to a fat burner. Exactly. Being led to foods that you think taste like real food but it's not. You think you're eating healthy because it's got the word organic or it's got natural on the front of the box. Yeah, that way. Yeah. A refined. A refined. Diet. Refined diet. High in in refined carbohydrates will feed your pathological bacteria and then they will make metabolites that are not good for you they want to survive but they need you to eat this stuff and you won't survive as long but you need, you will eat that versus going to over out crowding them out and having the good ones who make your butyric acid who make your uh, aromatic you know amino acids your coenzyme q10 your vitamin k's your vitamin b's they make all these incredible things. So we want to feed them. And it's simple. You feed them the foods of our ancestors, which were meats, fruits, vegetables, grains even, legumes, nuts and seeds. But when you are, and this is in their whole form, fermented, cooked properly, fermented foods, prebiotics, probiotics, but when you're in a mess, Sometimes you have to pull back on a lot of those foods to heal the gut 
and to create an environment for them to live. Because it's like anything, a plant or a human, if you haven't given them the right environment, then giving them the right things and foods, it's not going to make them well. So you have to change the environment of the gut. And once you change the environment of the gut, then you can start feeding the gut bacteria and then they will survive. Um, And so they do things called fecal microbial transplants where they insert the good um, feces, I guess, of someone who's healthy into somebody who's not healthy. And unless that environment is ready, all those species will die. But if that environment is ready, those species will grow as long as um, those species are within you. And what we need to do is crowd out the, the bad ones, you know, bring the new ones in. So... To say it easily, like I'm a, I'm a GAPS practitioner, I love GAPS. You can read it in a book, you can do it yourself. It's called Gut and Psychology Syndrome by Natasha Campbell McBride. And Kim and I have an absolute fortune of interviewing Natasha live in Sydney and our favourite quote, <laughs> and it is my favourite quote. We have to get back into the kitchen to feed and nourish our families to heal this nation. And you can't do this on fast food. You can't do this on takeaway food. You cannot do this on food out of a grocery store because most of it is devoid of nutrition. You have to find your community farmer's market. You have to find your farmer that um, will do this. And, you know, you were talking about your farmer's market and how it's your connection, it's your nourishment, there's a vibration there. And I agree with you. That farmer's market that I, I used to go to a lot, I don't need to anymore because... I got my own farm, but I used to go to it every morning at six o'clock. It didn't have that atmosphere when it first started, but I believe farmers markets are becoming destinations for people to go to, to connect, to find their tribe, to find the food from their farmer, direct from their farmer. It's no longer somebody going to the Rockley markets in Brisbane, collecting the food and pretending they're the bloody farmer. Mm. This is about the farmer going there. And, you know, the Kiwana farmer's market is incredible, as is the Noosa one, as is the Yandina one. So we're on the sunny coast. We know that these farmer's markets are, I've seen them go from, like I used to go 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago to farmer's markets. I used to go to the Malulabar one before Mantra was was put onto that car park. So these farmers markets have become very sophisticated in that they no longer want the Rockley person, you know, that's been to the Rockley markets and gone, you know, and just collected the same food that you would buy at Coles or Woolworths. These are the farmers that want to sell to the people. I know one of the, the farmers there, um, Mick Dan, um, Mick, shakes a new person's hand and said, hi, I'm your farmer. What questions do you have for me? You know, he's the farmer. He's the one growing the food. And this is what you got to do. If you want to get well and you want to get your soil well, you need to have food that's being grown in a good soil. And the only way you're going to do that is you have to leave coals and walls behind. I'm sorry, but you can't go in there. IGA, I love because a lot, not all, but a lot of IGAs are very much of the mindset of me. They want to buy local. They want to buy from the local farmers. They may not be organic always, but if they can get organic, they'll get it in. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Cindy, you know, and you and I have, every time we get together, and we've known each other for a couple of decades now, <laughs> um, we are soul sisters from another mister and 
you know, I feel that we often do retreats together, we speak together, we sleep in the same bed together, which is where I feel via osmosis, I get all your knowledge and all <laughs> and your <vice> wisdom. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting that you have a real passion for the inside of the body. I have a real passion for what we're putting on the outside, just generally speaking. And mind, your passion and the mind. the mind. I love the mind. I love <laughs> our attitude. And, and I guess that's where we come back to the power of self-love. Mm. When you truly love yourself, you will listen to a podcast like this and go, that makes sense. That vibrates with me. That resonates with me. I could just do a simple thing like going to the farmer's markets on a Saturday instead of going to Woolies. I could look at the ingredients in my food and the ingredients in my skincare and personal care products, etc. I just want to say from, you know, as we come to a close, the education that you offer, um, you and I have got some amazing, exciting things coming up together that we're going to be doing. I love being a part of some of your programs and I love having you a part of it, but I'd really love you uh, just to explain to us through Changing Habits, I really want to give your business a plug. I love the byline of Changing Habits, generational health. I think it sums it up unbelievably could you explain to us, for everyone listening to this, maybe the different protocols that you have available, your book, what's available, right up to the Functional or the Nutrition Academy, um, just so that people know that they can actually um, really feel like they have something, somewhere to go, somewhere to start, depending on where they're at in their journey. Speak to us a little bit about what you've created. Yeah. Well, it started as a book and a cookbook, and that was lab, it's now called Lab to Table, that book, because it has, has had to grow. So it, it started there and it's morphed into food. So we do food as well. So all of our food is certified organic. It's usually single ingredient, not many ingredients. And it's to put in your pantry. It's your, your pantry swaps. We also have programs and protocols and they are stepped. So the first one is the Real Food Reset. Then we have um, two that can sprout from that depending on what your goal is. One's called the Fat Loss Protocol. The other one's called the Healthy Keto Way. And both... Uh, help people understand what is best for their body. It's an education program about their body. Both of those programs are about that. The real food is just getting you off, you know, the SAD diet, which is a standard Australian diet, and getting you to understand what a real food is. And these other two really push the body to their evolutionary past cycling. So that remember we talked about that cycling of putting on weight, losing weight, putting on weight, losing weight, summer, winter, getting rid of toxins, not having food 365 days a year, seven days a week. So that's those two. Then um, we do, you know, we have newsletters and all the usual stuff. But then I've morphed a little bit more and I've got the Nutrition Academy. And the Nutrition Academy is where we teach people how they can teach their community. So they can teach, um, they can learn themselves about all the principles that we talk about and then they can teach their family, friends and then their community. And I think that's the most important thing is that we have to find a ripple effect happening where a community can start to make a change. But there has to be a leader, there has to be somebody with that information. And so we seek out people that are ready to make changes in their community, no matter how big or small that community is, no matter where it is in the world, we educate in order to help that. And then we have the incredible edible garden, so learning how to grow your own foods, and we also have the introduction to nutrition course. We mainly find that people who do the introduction to nutrition course um, usually end up in the 12-month nutrition program that, that I have. 
And when you are through this, you it's about critical thinking. It's not right and wrong. It's about I want you to really critically think about um, the food that you're consuming or the science that you're reading or the newspaper that you're engulfing or the marketing that you're seeing. It's about observation and inquiry. They're the two things that are really important. You learn uh, two, uh, like two philosophies. The first one is vitalism, which is holism, and how a supplement by itself can be quite dangerous, whereas a supplement, and I'm not saying a supplement, but a vitamin in a food is in its proper place. Is there a reason we need to take a supplement by itself sometimes? Just like medicine, it is used as medicine, but it is not nutrition. That's the way I look at it. Um, So we, you know, this is what you learn is about vitalism and the importance of macros and micros and and all of those things together and the importance of reading ingredients as opposed to nutritional labels. So that's the first one. And the second part of that is the anthropological historical, um, I guess, premise of what we did eat and what we need to go back to in order to survive as healthy human beings, that we have an innate intelligence, give it the right ingredients, it will be the best version of you that you can possibly be. So that's the first two modules and then we go into everything else. You know, once you have that philosophy and that historical background, what ends up happening is everything just, it's easy. It's absolutely easy and we just show you how easy it is. When somebody says cholesterol is bad, you know that, We've been eating cholesterol forever and cholesterol is needed for vitamin D, cognition, hormones, um, cell um, repair. You know, when you think of all the things that cholesterol are needed for, you never question cholesterol again, you know. So anyway, this is this is the nutrition program. And you can tell I'm raving on about it, but I love it. Yeah. I, I absolutely love teaching people. Then we have the farm. And on the farm... We also are starting a teaching program on the farm, learning about syntropic farming, learning about, you know, doing practical with the incredible edible garden, um, as well as regen farming. So these are all, this is everything I do. I don't think I do anything else. You research, you speak, you (laughs) have amazing interviews. You and Howard with Changing Habits and what you've created, really what started out with a book, as you said, Mm. has become a family business that is driven with passion, heart and soul. You both have the end user always in mind. You have a beautiful team of people. You've got a whole bunch of passionate advocates that do nothing but want to serve their community. And I just want to acknowledge you publicly for everything that you and Howard do to create a business that really is what I'd call a business with heart and soul. Um, I also just want to say that, you know, learning from you things like understanding what foods are good for us and not so good for us, understanding that if you can just get back to our favourite thing we've always said in the past is jerf, just eat real food, Mm. is a great place to start. Understanding the power of being maybe more of a fat burner than a sugar burner I think would be really helpful for this audience and realising that you know, I guess the best way I've ever heard this explained is that a big log of wood, the way that burns on a fire as opposed to kindling, that sugar exactly. is like kindling, mm. so you get short But both bursts, are important. But both, that's what I wanted to say to you, understanding the power in both mm. and what carbohydrates are the best and how they both, I love what you said before, how they both feed into the Krebs cycle, understanding how we get our ATP and therefore our energy. I really love it. I also want to say to you that your retreats and the things that you and I love to do, and we've got some exciting announcements coming, so stay tuned. But, you know, I love 
been alongside of you on these things and what we teach the community and how we rub off each other and how you inspire me. And you inspire me to be a better mum, a better wife, a better sister, a better daughter. You inspire me to be a better friend. And the reason why I love the self-love podcast is that you've also taught me how to truly love my worth and who I am and what I have to offer. If there was a favorite quote of yours or a favorite way that you'd love to finish, or before you even go there, is there any final message you'd love to say before we share your favorite quote? Uh, Look, I I think... What Natasha said, just get back in the kitchen to feed and nourish your family to heal this nation. It's not going to happen in a doctor's office. It's not going to happen with a vaccine. It's not going to happen with anything like that. You have to nourish your family in every way. And as women, you know, we are the nurturers and we need to take that role on. Yes, you can work. That's fine. But you also are the nurturer. And together with your man, there's no reason you can't nurture your family together. I, I, just, I just think um, we're, we're the nurturers mm. and we have to take that role very seriously. We can't neglect it because this is for generations to come. Like I think Howard gave me the opportunity to be the most incredible nurturer. For 14 years I did work from home, you know, I wrote books and I wrote for the paper and I did things like that, but I was able to stay at home with my babies and nurture them. So I was very fortunate. Um, and in these day and age, um, I, I, I don't want to put it down, but I, I, I actually think that it's more important to do that for even five years as opposed to more money in the bank. And I know that it's hard these days, but I just, in my way of thinking, you only have so much time to imprint on your babies what they will need to imprint on their babies and for your future generations to be the healthiest that that can possibly be. And my imprint for my babies was the food that we consumed and we know that imprint is in that first six months of life. But also, um, I know this were my final words and I was only say a few things, but... It's powerful. I, it, my thing is, is it's to be, to be in that, that kitchen, to be that nurturer and to teach our babies how to do it as well. Well, even this morning, we got back from our 14K hike, we got into the kitchen, we whipped up a pesto, a mayonnaise, date squishies, a coffee gelatin, a passion fruit gelatin. I've made us a butter chicken for dinner tonight with cauliflower rice. I made a caramel slice from Luke Hines' cookbook. I mean, we're and all tonight over. tonight we're doing hummus and baba ganoush. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we're all over We're all over it. Hashtag nailing it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think doing it with a friend is always good. But, like, I'll, I'll spend a couple of hours every week just, cutting my basil, doing my pesto, you know, doing my mayo, collecting my eggs, doing my mayo. I just do it. Like, and you probably do it when you get back from the market. Yep. As soon as you're back from the market, it's like boom, 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 boom. And then you're ready for the week. I love it. You're not looking at, oh, what am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to have for breakfast? You've done a couple of hours prep for the week. Can I just add to that? The most powerful way to eat healthy and get more healthy is preparation. It is. And organisation. Prep and organisation. Yeah. Don't try and do it looking in your fridge and there's nothing there. Mm. So in our fridges, both our <laughs> fridges, it's Sunday at the moment. So in both our fridges, we've got pesto, mayo. By the end of it, we'll have baba and hummus. We've got, um, I noticed you prepped all your meats while we were, um, talk- I don't know if it was for the cat or you, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you prepped them. <laughs> both. <laughs> the cat gets the same yeah, yeah. meat we do. Yeah, yeah. And, I've, and uh, all my veggies are here because I've, I've done all my picking. You've been to the farmer's market, same thing, makes no difference. But let me go to the quote that came up on beautiful Helen Patterns, both our friends, 
um, um, Instagram page um, last night and it just really spoke to me. And so while it's not my um, quote that I listen to all the time or re- think about all the time, it's, it just pulls everything together about self-love and food. If we can see our body as a wonder, which is you love your body, you know, it's an innate intelligence, we also have the opportunity to see the earth as a wonder, as soil. I'm just kind of adding some things here. And healing can begin for the body of the earth. When we go home and take care of ourselves, we heal not only our own bodies and minds, but we help the earth as well. Isn't that beautiful? It's stunning. Like when I read that, I went, Helen, you did it. But it is written by a person by the name of Thicky Nut Hunt. He's amazing. I love his book. It's just one of my favorite books I read of his was Happiness Now. Oh. And he talks about um, that's where I learned the art of micro moments of mindfulness and where you can meditate for 20 seconds looking at a tomato, cutting it open, realizing where it came from, the farmer that grew it, looking at it with intent, making food with the blessings. He's a beautiful soul who I've learned a lot from in the way that when we're cooking a meal. So there you go. He's, I need to get his book yeah, then because to me what he's saying is when you're nurturing your body with the foods that we're talking about and when you're nurturing the outside of your body with your beautiful oils and your moisturisers that I know that you are a till of the hun when it comes to the ingredients you use, then you're not only nurturing yourself but you've decided to become part of a solution that's happening on the planet as opposed to a problem. So if, if I'm to eat the foods that are genetically modified, Roundup ready, um, Cows are, are being fed, you know, force-fed. If I choose to eat those foods, I'm destroying the planet. That's what I'm doing. I agree. That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm part of a freaking problem that is happening out there. But if I choose to find my farmer that's local, that treats their cattle, their chickens, their, their plants and their soil with respect, then, and then I feed myself, I'm respecting myself with that, but then I'm part of an incredible solution. So, and that that mm. quote to me said it all. He's beautiful. He's and, just and beautiful. as you said at the very beginning, when we know better, we, we do, do better. <laughs> Cindy, my darling soul, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being part of the Self Love Podcast. You know I'm going to get you on again and again. <laughs> it's nice to have you on tap, and I'm really looking forward to what we're sharing. Uh, together as we both grow in our businesses, our families, our love of life and and what we're all doing on this beautiful Mm. planet. Thank you so much for being in my world. Oh, thank you, Kimmy, for being in mine. (laughs) I couldn't live without you. (laughs) I didn't pay her to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.